Hey folks, and welcome to another episode of the Leadership Tales podcast. I've got a treat in store for you today. Uh, a bundle of energy, a person who, when I first met him, just blew me away. Brilliant author of a book called Save Your Asks, but again, had a profound effect on me in terms of my networking, crystallized my thinking around that. Author of The Millennial Whisperer. Again, and in a unique character that epitomizes this concept of connection. Um, and you'll get today a story of it. You'll get a, uh, an energized uh, 35 minutes of power from somebody who, uh, who really does live his values, his brand in terms of Savior Asks and paying it forward to others. So welcome to Christoph and I uh, hope you enjoy it. Chris, welcome. Welcome to the Leadership Tales podcast. Tell people a bit about yourself because we could geek out and talk about a number of different things, but give us a context to you. Yeah. The, I mean, the context for me is uh, I graduated uh, in 2003 and uh, graduated with a huge ego, all the confidence in the world. And it took 64 failed job interviews to get to the place that was actually somewhere close to my unknown passions at that time which was lucky 65th was that a digital advertising firm that was super small. It was really the reason I got the job was I was actually kind of excited about it. Unlike the other 64. And, and I probably did a lot of things wrong. I ended up landing at this small digital advertising firm as internet and digital advertising was coming back from the dot-com bust. And it was over a five-year period of time there that I really created my first foundation or what I like to call my currency. And uh, I was a copywriter. I, was an, I kept making these lateral moves. I was acting very much like a millennial, even though I'm an Xer. It was about five years into that, that ridiculous things started to happen. I fell into the social media world as it was being invented. I 2006 into 2007, right as Facebook was going from colleges to the general public, I had the opportunity to actually be one of the first advertisers to build the products on Facebook. And you can read about it. Some of them had massive backlash called Beacon um, and some other pieces, but then other, it was, it was really the advent of connection, right? And, and this move towards brands acting a little bit more like people. And the rest was kind of history, as they call it. And uh, it was really over the next 15 years that I really doubled down on that and um, continued to build on it. But it wasn't until hitting rock bottom in 2016, my life had taken another form, right? I, I was on the road a lot. I was hobnobbing with the who's who. I was playing the status games and it all came tumbling down. And it was in that moment I decided to take a one-month sabbatical from my work to really collect myself. And it was rock bottom, right? I mean, I'm not going to sugarcoat it uh, at all. Um, and it was in that moment, three things changed. One was changing my metric of success, which till up until that moment um, was beating my older two brothers at the game of life, which <laughs> is a horrible metric of success. And I said, my metric of success from now on is going to be when my head hits the pillow. Did I have the impact that I intended? And every single night, ever since then, I can tell you, Colin, I've had a successful day, right? The second thing that changed was I decided to double down on my family and prioritize them. And so my two daughters and my wife, I'm not going to be missing any of their soccer games or horseback riding. I'm going to be there. And I'm going to really 
make it a point to blur those lines as much as possible between work and life, right? And then the third thing was that I'm going to take all of my energy and put it into uh, these younger employees at my 400 employee firm. I'd like to say, you know, in hindsight, it seems like a blip, right? A dot on that kind of story arc, but it was seven months of, I was very lonely. I, I changed my friend groups. I quit drinking, which is, I think, another important piece of the puzzle. Mm. But um, I took action, right? And it was seven months into that, that I was on an executive retreat. And I introduced myself around the fire to these gentlemen all entrepreneurs, very successful guys from all over the Southeast. I didn't know them. And I said, Hey guys, I'd like to introduce myself. I'm Chris Tuff. And I don't really know what I do anymore. I used to be the social and digital guy, but I'm kind of like the millennial whisper. I then went on and shared my story. And uh, immediately these guys are like, man, tell me some of the stuff you do. Cause these millennials suck. Right. And another guy was like, and then the Gen Zers, they're even worse. Right. And I started telling them some of the tactics that I use and they kind of lit up and thought about it. And it was about three weeks later, a couple of them reached out. They're like, Chris, man, I started using some of those tactics and they're working. And then another guy in the, the same uh, trip who was leading it said, Chris, you got to write that book. So I wrote the book without ever having an intention of writing a book. And it was about eight months after publishing, you know, it becoming a bestseller organically, which doesn't really happen that often. And it was really after those eight months that my currency had successfully evolved to really where my passions had evolved from really digital and social media, although at the core, it was authentic connection. Um, and now it was more about how do you motivate and lead using authentic connection to do it. And then everything was going awesome, Colin, right? Like, and I was actually using the book to open up doors for my agency. I was on the big stage at Nike and then the pandemic hit. It was in that moment that I have a, what I call my two hour rule, which is when something doesn't go your way, right? It's resilience and you can dwell about it for two hours and then you got to bounce back. You got to figure out something to bounce back. And uh, so as the pandemic hit and it was actually the assistant of the president of Nike who had called me and said, your speech isn't happening. Sorry. This isn't going to, we don't know how long this is going to last. So uh, we'll be in touch in a few months. And we all know how that story unfolded, right? In that moment, I'm like, all right, what's the book I was really meant to write? Like, I might as well use this downtime to do something. I thought about it and I remember it was actually about three years prior that I had done a lecture at Vanderbilt University where I went to school. And the title of the lecture was How to Network Like a Mofo. It was the <laughs> highest rated guest lecture of the year. I was like, that's really, it's about how to better network and sell in an authentic manner. It's actually not that different from the millennial whisper in that you take this authentic connection and you put it out, which what if I actually made the title of the book, a call to action for people to save their asks? Cause we're all on the receiving ends of these ask holes that ask and ask instead of going in with a desired outcome of genuine connection. And then once again, took about two and a half years to write that one and amazing interviews. And um, we published that about uh, eight months ago and 
Now I'm really, my whole platform is really around this authentic connection with both books. And a lot of organizations are utilizing me with what I call like the greatest hits, which is, okay, at the base, it's the authentic connection, right? Inward with our people and then outward with how we better network and sell in our day-to-day. And, you know, for those who don't know you, and I've known you for a short while, but I feel like I've known you for, for years, Tell us a bit about the circumstances around that, because there's something, there's a strength in the, even though that downtime, the family, and I love the life balance, as I call it, yeah. you know, the, the family is very important to you, but also some of the connections, you know, the tattoo on your arm, other yeah. things, there's some drivers in there that if you didn't know, would help you understand where you've come to. Yeah. There's a massive void of authenticity in the world right now, and there's a void in connection. I think there's a relation to, to why that is. But and then you get a lot of these people that are like you and me that are writing books and speaking, and then when no one's looking, they're doing the exact opposite. And that, to me, is so important of walking the talk. And everything that I talk about, Colin, I practice. The other thing that I've done is I take 20% of all my time and I try to bring people along. It was, it was a concept of tithing my time versus money um, by a guy named Dan Miller, who kind of took me under his wing, a super successful, he's 75 years old author. And I was like, I'm going to do that, right? Some of my most compelling stories aren't necessarily hobnobbing with the billionaires at Kelly Slater's Surf Ranch, right? It's actually my story of the waiter that I had in Turks and Caicos or the guy that came to redo my chimney who texted me the other day a year and a half since we met. And he was at my house for like a month and a half and he was super depressed and I would bring him dinners and lunches and he texted me, he said he's making half a million dollars redoing chimneys. Or my tattoo artist, Kiyoki, as you can see, anytime I have a defining moment, I have him freehand the symbolic piece mm. of that. I actually just got my newest one, which is all about unlocking passions and dreams. It's a huge chess piece and was by far the most painful. But he's another guy. I helped him open his own his own shop. And, and let me just tell a quick story there, right? So mm. There's even a, there's a saying that go to Chris Tuff for free stuff, like around Atlanta, because I know someone for everything, right? Mm -hmm. And my unique abilities to connect in each one of these nuances is really what makes me such a good networker. But I do it in a way that when someone tells me what their dream is, which I think the most important question you can ask anyone is what's your dream? What, what Mm -hmm. fires you up? When I hear that, I can usually take some form of action through an introduction or an idea to help them take action, to, to make, take a step towards that. And so this guy, Kiyoki, who I met totally randomly as I was coming out of my rock bottom, I wanted to signify one of my main points, which is my first three rings, uh, my twin brother introduced me to this idea that no one's allowed in your hula hoop except for your wife and your two daughters, Chris, hmm. don't let anyone else in it. Um, cause people are going to try to hop in it. I was like, I love that. I'm going to get a tattoo of a hula hoop for each one of my girls, which are these three lines. And I went to five tattoo artists, Colin, and no one could actually draw a straight line around. It's a very difficult thing yeah. to do it around an arm. So three of the five tattoo artists that I'd seen said, you got to see this guy from Hawaii, Kiyoki. And so I get in with Kiyoki and he does this amazing piece. And it was once again, like one of these um, 
these authentic connections that happened in the moment that I kind of took with me. And we, we have since become really good friends. And he's one of the guys that I've taken under my wing. And so through the pandemic, I'm like, Kiyoki, you got to start your own shop, like enough paying the man. Like, let's just do this. I'll help you open it. Right. He calls me all of a sudden right towards the end of the process. And he, he caught, he was very upset. And he's like, Chris, I, you know, I hate to reach out to you, but I just got the worst news of yet, which is that the health inspector came by and they said that I couldn't get my license unless I redo the fabric on all of my 10 tattoo chairs from black to white. And Chris, that's going to be like $15,000 for that vinyl upholstery. Um, So I think I'm just going to give up. I go, Kiyoki, you're not going to believe this, but I just... So happened to know the number one vinyl upholstery company in the U.S. Not only that, but they're in Atlanta. Let me make a couple calls. I call my friend Heather, who is the COO of the largest vinyl upholstery company in the U.S. I tell her the situation. Calling in 24 hours, he had brand new vinyl upholstery for free on all of his chairs. Wow. And I use that as an example of... That's what I'm talking about in terms of practicing what you preach. But also, I think it's so important that we bring along, we put ourselves on equal footing with all of those around us. And so the one thing that I'm constantly looking for in any interaction is that is that authentic connection and a little bit of that curiosity, because there's something we can learn from everyone. Yeah, we can take this in whatever direction you want. I bet, you know, we could take it in so many. Because there's a piece about authenticity, which is authenticity develops. You know, Hermione Obara says it from London Business School is authenticity comes from something, but it's a developable piece. So what I'm authentic now, I haven't experienced. And, you know, having met you the first time and heard the story of, if I remember rightly, the guy wanted to punch you in the face. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Tim. Yeah. yeah, and and that story that's in the book about Save Your Ass made me realize a, a story in myself. So built on something, but I've got to practice it to develop it. So it becomes part of my authentic self, but it's developable. And so do you want to tell the story about being yourself and the, 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 the audience member? Because I, I yeah. love that. Yeah. So here's here's one of the things that I, I need to make sure comes across, Colin. And, mm. and I say it that... If I saw myself up on stage, I would most likely be like, screw that guy, right? He's so confident, right? He's got these dumb yellow glasses and he just, it's got to be fake, right? Mm -hmm. Like if I saw myself, right? Like if I took myself out of my own ego, when I get hurt at some of the reactions that I get from audience members, I'm like, be honest with yourself, Chris, you'd kind of want to deck you if you saw yourself get on stage, right? And so one of the things as I was honing the messaging around Savior Asks, it was uh, in the, we're just coming out of one of those blips of the pandemic where I could finally do an in-person speech. And I was practicing some of the material um, that I was still writing around. And it was like some of the best energy I've ever felt. It was a about 30 executives except for one person and he was in the front row and he sat there with a scowl on his face and his arms crossed 
I tried to not let him throw me off my game, but I was like, I'm going to win this guy over, right? You, you kind of take yeah. it as a challenge. It's a challenge, you know? isn't it? Right. <laughs> I never won him over. And so I went up to him after my speech. I said, hey, uh, excuse me, sir. I just want to introduce myself and I, I want to congratulate you. He was kind of taken aback. He was like, congratulate me for what? Still looking like he wants to punch me in the face. I was like, you're the one guy in the audience that wanted to punch me in the face. I usually have between one and five at a, at, at a audience this size. And he's kind of taken aback and he chuckled and he goes, well, you know, I didn't really want to punch you in the face, but I kind of wanted to swipe your dumb glasses off of it. I was like, ah, <laughs> oh, now we're going right. And uh, I uncover and just like our quick banter back and forth. He's an executive at Microsoft. I suggested because I need to be able to win him over. I need to be able to win these executives that mm -hmm. are on the other side of the spectrum of me, right? And so I said, I'd just love to hear from you some of your feedback. Let's hop on a phone call next Friday. And he said, sure, here's my cell phone number, blah, 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 right? And we hop on a cell phone uh, on a call that next Friday. And it was almost out of, and I hate talking on the phone. I'd much rather do something like this. It was immediately that we figured out within the first 10 minutes, we had a lot more in common than we that you ever would have realized. And we talked for like an hour and a half and we kept it going. So it became a Friday tradition. We became best friends, Colin. Not only that, but he edited my book. I, you know, when you're going through the process of writing a book, that's a very vulnerable position to show Painful. people you're thinking, right? Yeah. And he was a key part of honing it. But not only that, but he started actually implementing the strategies in it. You know, one of the things that you know, I think it's super important, no matter what our job is, is that we're constantly curating these side hustles and passions so that we're at least practicing neuroplasticity and a growth mindset just by practicing some of those new things that we're learning, but also with the intention that that side hustle or that passion project could potentially evolve into something larger that's in, li in line with your own evolving passion and purpose, right? Mm. What we uncover is a guy whose nuance is nuance kind of skill set is building supercomputers in the cloud. He had a massive desire to help change the world by using data for climate change, really third world countries in the moment that are being threatened by floods or any of these natural disasters that don't have access to the technology that these um, the U.S. does, right? Mm -hmm. He's like, we've got all the data, right? And I was like, all right, just start curating that thing, right? Fast forward, he's now in charge of climate change for Microsoft and meeting with the you know, C-suite at Microsoft around this, what used to be a passion project this is now his full-time project. And I'm like, Fantastic. what, what better way to actually show that this stuff works, but also the power of connection of two very different people. And I think that's true with almost anyone. And, and I, I mean, I'll end kind of that story with one of the biggest things that's holding us back. I feel is that is just not going there. And, and the second I have the slightest inkling from an energy standpoint, I just go there right away. Mm -hmm. And I, and I go from zero to like 120. I say curiosity is really the difference between effective connection versus networking. And I ask those questions. And as I find the vibe, I will take it to the next level very quickly where I'll invite someone over to my house for lunch or dinner or whatever it is. Right. 
that to me is one of the biggest pieces is you just got to go there, right? Like, and I have so many stories that have happened over just the last four months of people I've met on planes or in coffee shops that have now gone on. All I'm doing is commenting on their like Jordans, right? Or, you know, whatever it is. And then we just, that if, if there's one takeaway from this whole thing, it's like, just go there. Like ask that question, get, go, go deep. Right. And there's subtle nuances to it because when I, I mean, I remember exactly where I was listening to your Audible book and I remember I was taking my daughter down to Exeter for a university visit and I remember because it was one of those points where you were talking about connection and hilariously my youngest daughter plugs in with their headphones when we start the four and a half hour journey, (laughs) only speaks two words which is McDonald's dad to point me in the direction, switches off. So I remember doing the book all the way there and all the way back in a day But there was some really relevant moments to me, which is somebody listening could be thinking, well, that's just his natural energy. But the principles behind Savior Asks for me are fundamental, which is it's about choices. It's what I would call relationships with a purpose, yeah, Yeah. to go into. So maybe share some of the the stuff, as you called it before, because it's rich. Yeah. 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 I mean, and I talk to a lot of introverts, for example, that they're Mm. like, Chris, I'm never going to be like you. And what I tell everyone is like, I mean, even for massive introverts, arm yourself with a good extrovert. And, and even at the end, it was funny. I was talking to someone that I'm, I'm helping out right now. And um, she was telling me that she's a massive introvert, extrovert. But at the end of the day, she's super exhausted. Like she still needs to go back. I'm like, that, that's just about how much energy you have in the day. Mm-hmm. The best thing any introvert can do is arm themselves with a good extrovert. But one of the things that we all need to be practicing more of is what I call a race to the middle right? And a race to the middle is finding that common passion point between you and that person that you're interacting with, but then developing it and um, taking it to the next level as fast as possible. That is a muscle. And the younger we get, right? And this is more on the generational side, the less of that muscle our kids have, right? From you look at Gen Zers that are 24 and under, or even younger millennials, 35 and younger, You look at that interpersonal muscle that is lacking compared to what we have had, right? Like I love comparing our first flirtations. We had to pick up a telephone number of telephone thing, right? Like we actually had to like dial it and then we had to get through mom and dad. And then once we got through mom and dad, we talked to that person. That's an interpersonal muscle that was developed at a very young age versus you juxtapose that to these millennia, younger millennials and Gen Zers, they had a brand new cell phone with a Snapchat account and it's all happening here, right? Mm. And so there is a generational difference to people's ability to create, I think, not only create that authentic connection, but to flex that interpersonal muscle and practice this, what I call race to the middle, which is just finding that common passion point between you and the other person. But the biggest things that we just have to exercise is once again, that curiosity, asking those questions Mm -hmm. and put into context of a salesperson. Instead, just so many people are going in with the empty ask, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Or they're going in with the the automated ask on LinkedIn. You know, you accept friend requests and then literally nanoseconds later, they're like, hey, can you schedule time? (laughs) Yeah, right. It's the worst, right? And it's like, if you just practice a little bit more of this race to the middle, you made your desired outcome in the first couple meetings to be that authentic connection. 
you'll actually have a lot more context when it, came, it comes time to sell whatever it is that you're selling. And so I did actually a keynote on a very depressing day at Meta for their sales team two weeks ago, right? I mean, and it was like, it was the darkest, you could just feel that energy. What's amazing is that the second that I started speaking, you could see everyone light up, right? Mm -hmm. And one of the things that this sales team had practiced was that scene out of the Leonardo, um, I forget which Leonardo DiCaprio uh, movie, but it's sell me this pen, right? Like yeah. you got to sell this, yep. sell me this pen. And they had just gone through that. And I said, all right, I, I'm going to, as I've gone through these different tactics, I'm going to tell you how I would sell that pen. And as I'm sitting across from you, if I'm trying to sell you this pen, I would look you in the eyes like this. I would take it. I would put it to the side and I would start talking about you. I'd start learning about what drives you as a human. Where do your dreams lie? What fires you up off of that? We're going to find common passion points and we're going to start actually developing this authentic connection. I'm going to put you in touch with my friends to help you do some of these things. And at the end of that conversation, I'm going to grab the pen. I'm going to say, by the way, I've got this pen mm. and this is what you need to do to write that book that you need this pen to write that book that you had just told me about because I actually use this exact same pen and it's almost symbolic and I'm going to actually just give it to you. Hit me back when you're ready to talk more. And that's the essence of all. I mean, I get goosebumps talking about it, Colin, because like that. We're, we're getting like five birds with one stone. We're creating more of this authentic connection. Our intentions are still pure and genuine. We're able to actually all do our jobs in a way that no one's ever put together before. Right. And that's what I'm trying. I'm trying to flip the whole script on its head. And I think that what I love about this, so Chad Littlefield, really good friends who has connection before content. Brilliant. Yeah. And he does, he connects 4,000 people in an audience by getting just to, rather than thinking about me, we think about we, we put in the, the concepts there. People listening, the, the key thing about save your ask, I think, is one. And then the second thing is you're an amazing network who has those connections to be able to give. And you told stories today about doing those. That takes work to, to build up. And you've had your period of getting those connections work. What I experience of you is you don't ask anything from me. We, we haven't, there hasn't been any sort of ask to me in all the relationship we've had so far. So explain to people about how that works. Cause you sure. know, I feel like I would give you anything, Yeah, but you've done it brilliantly. Yeah. So, I mean, let me be very um, vulnerable in this moment, right? Like, mm -hmm. I mean, I just quit my job of 15 years at my agency uh, uh, in three, three weeks, I will no longer be, salaried, you know, I've spent my whole really, especially the last four years giving and trying to just have as much of an impact as possible without necessarily having to monetize any of it. That's about to shift. We all have seasons of our lives where we need to go into the asking mode more. I haven't needed to because my I've been able to provide for my family just fine. I mean, Colin, you're one of hundred, I mean, a, yep. a lot of relationships where I just want to give because it's actually when I give to other people, right? When, 
when I field a call from Mace Curran and she's like, hey, should I talk to this dude? I'm like, yes, you're going to love him, right? <laughs> no, that, don't avoid that, it. <laughs> but that, that fires me up. Like that gets yeah. me, because I'm obsessed with helping people get to that next level and act as that catalyst, right? Mm. But I'm about to shift into more of an asking season. I call it my bank of asks and I've got my ATM card and I'm walking up to that ATM Listen, Colin, you're not on the first five list. Like, so you're good. I'm not going to be calling you in the next couple of days, but there's some get on people. the top five list. Yeah, <laughs> right. No, it's, it's the top five list are people that I've done crazy amounts of favors for through the years. It's, and I have that trust with them that it's, I got to throw all everything out on the table and say, all right, where in your network or within your organization, do you feel like I can fit? Um, cause you know, my intentions are as pure as possible. Cause I need to start actually generating some revenue with this thing. I'm about to shift into that, but I say everyone lives on somewhere on the ask continuum. And mm-hmm. if asks come really easy to you, then you're most likely an ask hole, right? And so you've <laughs> actually got to save your asks a little bit more, but you can also get too far to the other side, Colin, right? Where you mm-hmm. can, You'll let the ask pass you by. I sometimes tend to be a recovering asshole. I go too far to the other side. And then there's that key moment where you're meeting at lunch or dinner or at your house or whatever. And you just don't go in for that ask, whatever it is. And you got to go there. Right. And also the, the other thing I talk about is like asks, if you have a genuine enough relationship, it should never even feel like an ask we got to do this together. Right. And Mm -hmm. as I go and talk to a lot of these big corporations, I've developed such an authentic connection that I just say, let's do something together. And then we'll do a fireside chat afterwards. And they're like, absolutely. Chris, how much is it going to be? I'm like, we'll talk to my speaking agent because I'll give everything (laughs) away for free. Right. (laughs) And here's one really key tactic for those listening. And this is one of my favorite tactics out of anything I have in my arsenal. And it's the power of video text message. Mm. Because the one theme that I found in all of my interviews was that creating relationships is easy. Sustaining and deepening them is what's so difficult. And for so long, we've just been reliant on text or email or whatever. It is 20, I'd say a hundred times more impactful that in that moment, when you send just a super short video text message, 28 seconds or, 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 or under, which is about the bandwidth limit for a lot of these phones, just go and say, Colin, I just want to thank you so much for letting me on your mm-hmm. podcast. Cause you can actually let out so much more emotion. And so and even you look at some of the people are like, Chris, how did you get on like all these crazy stages? It's like, well, I met their executives at another speech and then look at how many times, not only do I video text message me, but no matter how uncomfortable it is, they've never video text messaged before their video text messaging me back. Right. And it becomes like this weekly back and forth and where it's like, yeah, I get on stage. We may have only met once in person and it's a huge hug. Right. Yeah. And it's like, how cool is that? Right. So that to me, Colin, and all of my tactics and ideas, that is the most powerful thing that anyone can do to take a relationship to the next level. So in my language is pay it forward. Yeah. And it's not expecting anything in return season of asks coming in. I think the ask all continuum is an important one because I've got people in my life who I've rejected on the basis that they were always asking, always asking. But I, I think you've hit the nail on the head for me is, is about 
it's the courage to ask when it's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And actually it's, it's a bit like not closing a sale, not closing a deal. There's that bit where you had them. Yeah. yeah. And why didn't you go? And I suppose there's a fear over here in the UK about sales. So a lot of people go, I'm not a salesperson. I don't do yeah. that. But you're not talking sales, are you? You're talking relationships. No, it's all relationships. I've I've had like my assistant, Janelle, who's amazing, come along with me to some of these dinners and lunches. And I'll say, watch how I end this meal together because it's not going to feel like an ask. And mm. it's all in the art of just the connection and, mm. and throwing your motives and and intentions out there, right? It was actually, we were up in Chicago for a speech and she was like, Chris, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen, right? Like that didn't seem like, because at the end of the meal, I was like to uh, this gentleman, I was like, Sam, you know what? I would love to help you with blank, blank, and blank by doing blank, blank, and blank, right? What do you think? Absolutely, Mm. Chris. Here's my crew, right? You look at culture-wise between the US and the UK, Mm. there is some difference there. But I will tell you, Colin, being the the son of a very British father, mm-hmm. Timothy Charles Tuff, you know, this is probably a little bit more uncomfortable for Brits, but I think it's changing. Right. And I've worked with, a hand, you know, I think, I do think it's changing. My biggest piece of advice is just go there, right? Yeah. You just go there. And mm. we, you know, it's once again, it's, we're building these muscles and developing them. And it's amazing watching how much more fulfilling sales can be when you just have that desired outcome being authentic connection. I'd love to, to end this today because I, I, the one story I always remember, and I remember loads of your stories, and Mace is, is one of those who, you know, I, I'm so looking forward to, to having her on the podcast as well to, to share her story. But the one I always remember is the surfing one, yeah, yeah. and the, the hand over the hearts. And yeah, uh, yeah. if we could end with that one, that sure. would be brilliant. Yeah. A guy I was interviewing for my book, super successful entrepreneur. I ended my book with, I mean, my interview with him with one of my favorite tactics, which is masking your ask in my dream. <laughs> and I told him, I was like, here, you know, you're multi-billionaire or whatever, right? Like people go in for asks all the time. I'm going to practice my favorite tactic. Are you ready? He goes, yeah, bring it on. I go, okay, it is my dream to create a handbook whether you just graduated from university or your 55 year old guys feel stuck in their sales job, I want to make you more successful in that job, but also to make it a hell of a lot more fulfilling by doubling down on authentic connection. Who in your network do you feel like I have to interview for this book? He goes, Chris, you got to interview this Tahitian surfer who's 57 years old, like 260 pounds. Um, and his name is Ray Mana. You got to interview him. Have you ever heard of him? I was like, I think so. Tell me more. He was like, well, Ray it was actually at Kelly Slater surf ranch, which is this man-made wave. It's the most perfect wave that's ever been created. Right. It was six years ago. I was at the, I was at, I was about to go in for my first wave and Ray came up to me on the jet ski giving me a little piece of advice and he saw how nervous I was for this wave. And he put his hand in my heart and he looked into my eyes. He said, I love you, brother. Now just breathe, just breathe. I then went on and caught the most epic wave of my life. And I think I had tears rolling down my face. I got in the barrel. I hugged Raymana. And ever since then, we've had this crazy connection. And as I've gotten to know Raymana, He's actually the greatest connector of billionaires and A-list celebrities in the world. 
Cindy Crawford actually calls him the blue pill because he can get anyone up. And I was like, all right. So I ended up interviewing Raymana and I was like, this guy truly is one of the greatest guys ever. And the first question I asked him was, tell me about this connection you have with Jason. Cause he talks about this moment where you said, I love you, brother. Just breathe, just breathe. Tell me about that. He goes, ah, yes, 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 yes. Now don't tell Jason this, but, uh, I tell that to everyone when I'm teaching them to take, to, to catch Kelly's wave. And I mean, two things by it. One, I want you to take in this wave because this is the most perfect wave you could ever catch. So take it in. Forget about your job and your jets and whatever. Like this is going to be the most epic one, one minute and 15 seconds ride of your life. And two is you might miss the most epic wave ever created. And if you miss it, I want you to walk away with a smile on your face. I was like, Ramana, here's the thing. I am going to surf, right? As we are finishing up our interview, I'm going to surf surf ranch with you one day and sure enough colin fast forward to june jason calls me and says chris you're coming out to surf ranch and he flew me out to surf ranch it was at surf ranch that i met mace curran as i was going in i botched my first wave i was going in for my second wave and i'm like what if i go here i have only eight chances to catch a wave what if i go this here and i don't even catch it like if you do the math on it, it's $10,000 a wave. Um, I go in for my second wave, Colin, and I hear a familiar voice. Kilo! Kilo! Get rid of my... It's Rimana! Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I catch the wave. I get into the barrel. I am crying. I hug Rimana. I'm like, Rimana, you're actually... You, you're real. And you got me up in that wave, right? And I'm like, I talk about you in front of audiences every single week. And I've actually, so now fast forward, that was in June. And then it was after that trip that a handful of amazing things happened, including fulfilling that kind of dream. And I'm like, I got to quit my job and just go all in on this. Right. And and even my conversations with Mace on the side, I talk about in between moments, right? It was Mm -hmm. actually in between the waves talking to Mace and talking to this guy, Grant Corgan, who's the only paraplegic with his pilot's license and how he's using the art of flight to give inspiration to people that have had life altering injuries. Like I'm like, this this is my, these are my peeps. I'm going all in on this. Right. And so I, and I've actually gone back to Sir French again. I was actually just there two weeks ago and I'm like, this is the most, like, I don't really know where this is going, but what a, what a great way to go full 360. Like, this is how I wrap up my keynotes. Right. Like, cause we all got to be a lot more like Raymana and less like the assholes that we've been trained to be. And now I'm like in the inner circle with Raymana and all these guys, like uh, by practicing what I preach, like how beautiful. And I, I love the analogy cause the surfing and the surfing of life and how you surf, but catching the wave and helping others to catch the wave is, is a beautiful way to describe it you. It really I'm, I'm is. Just, oh, it's a lovely analogy. And it really it's is. always been, it's my little energy shot I've given myself today to give you the chance to be on this podcast and talk to people. But I hopefully, and I know you've given a lot of energy to a lot of other people out there. If they want to get another shot of the energy, how would they find you? Sir? Yeah, so the best place is uh, if you go to christuff.me, uh, C-H-R-I-S-T-U-F-F.me. Uh, and then I'm super responsive on Instagram, tough, uh, T-U-F-F, two, two, the number. 
as well as LinkedIn uh, forward slash Christopher Tuff. And yeah, if you reach out to me, I'll, I'd, I'd be happy to act as your catalyst towards your dream in whatever way I can. And I'd love to end with one question, but I think this could be a difficult one for you to, to pick. But if you had to say one experiment or one thing that has been perceived as a failure in life, which has been the biggest almost learning and kickstart for your career and your life, what would it be? My rock bottom, it was bad, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, I was having nervous breakdowns. I was, I mean, I'm like the most optimistic, Mm -hmm. uplifting, right? Like I didn't have any of that. When we're going through these moments, Colin, it's so difficult, right? Mm -hmm. And it's important as humans that we bring people through those dark moments, right? Because we all have seasons of life. But the other thing that's really important to understand is that those are the moments that will actually act as the catalyst towards making us a better person. And it was actually in human development that I learned crisis catalyzes change, right? And so I encourage anyone listening, as you go through these crises, see it as a way to catalyze your own change. Just take action on it. Make sure you're finding the learnings in those dark moments and places. And if we take action, just three things a day, everything will start falling into place. But it's going to take time. That instant gratification, the Instagram, you know, get rich quick. None of that's real. The journey and the progress is actually where joy lives. As one of my other friends, KC, would say, to glow in the light, you've got to be able to glow in the dark as well. Yeah, especially when you have glasses like these. I was just about to say, for those who haven't been listening to this, you've got to see the visual of this. It's great. Chris, uh, enjoy the horse ride with your daughter. I know that's so important to you. I look forward to connecting soon. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thanks so much, Colin. That was awesome. Well, that's me energized for at least probably two weeks. <laughs> Chris is just so engaging, has a fascinating background, the stories of surfing and the analogies in there and the connection points. And all I could say is that the benefit of one connection point from a colleague, Brian Wish, who then connected me with Chris, who's connected me with Mace, who is a, as a jet pilot, Amazing character in her own right. Um, this this concept of network and and paying forward and saving your ask is is lived in in Chris, but also in the wider network that he gives you access to uh, and talking it through. So as, as he talks about in this uh, this piece, sometimes some people will not like his style and want to punch him in the face. But the principles behind what he does uh, are amazing, and I particularly like it. I like the style. I like his his character. I like the authenticity of a way he brings himself to it. So, uh, yeah, brilliant to have him on the podcast. Anyway, I look forward to welcoming you on another episode of the Leadership Tales podcast very soon.